Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Employment Matters podcast, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the world. I'm your host, Tara Stingley, with Klein Williams in Omaha, Nebraska. On the program, we span the globe with updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. On today's episode, we'll be discussing developments with the U.S. Department of Labor Wage and Hour Division including an update on child labor enforcement and, of course, the proposed overtime exemption regulations under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Joining us on the program today is the always entertaining and insightful David Fortney, co-founder at Fortney Scott in Washington, D.C. David formerly was a deputy and acting solicitor of labor with extensive experience in DOL wage and hour matters. David, welcome back to the program. It's good to see you. Sarah, it's great to be here again. I always enjoy our podcasts and I always enjoy talking about the Labor Department. So there's a lot to update on, isn't there? There certainly has been. So the DOL has been pretty busy lately, along with some other federal government administrative agencies, as we know. And there have been lots of developments, including child labor compliance and the proposed regulations regarding which employees are eligible for overtime. And the last time you were on the program, we talked about child labor enforcement. So maybe we can start with a quick update on where that issue stands. Sure, happy to. So child labor continues to be really top of mind for the the Labor Department and certainly on their auditing and enforcement profiles. So I, I think that employers, some employers mistakenly think child labor is sort of a seasonal issue. You know, we're going to put some students to work in the summer, but we can take our eye off of it. I think if you go back to many of the points that we unpacked in our prior discussion on the podcast, those remain very, very important. There is a problem with many folks using false ID that are underage, that are being put into jobs they should not be in, the Labor Department imposing strict liability, the states continue to change their child labor laws, creating much confusion among employers, and ultimately, keep in mind, even if the state laws appear more lenient, you still have to comply with the federal labor requirements. And there are big penalties. Uh, We talked about the one company that got tagged up to $1.5 million, but many others are in the four to $500,000. And this covers a wide range of industries. So I guess my call out would be continue, employers, please, to really be very careful about that, be very mindful of the hazardous occupation orders, all the details we unpack, all that material, Tara, is just as timely today as it was when we discussed it a couple months ago. Thanks, David. So I want to be respectful of your time. And so let's jump to the new proposed regulations expanding the number of employees and the category of employees who will be eligible for overtime under the Fair Labor Standards Act. I've got to say, it feels a bit like deja vu from the DOL's last attempt to change a standard. But let's start first by unpacking the statute on which these new regulations are based. What can you tell us about that? Sure. And it is, as a, as Yogi Berra says, deja vu all over again. So here we are. So the Fair Labor Standards Act, just to start with basics, that's the federal law, and it, it talks about the minimum wage requirements, and it talks about overtime if you work more than 40 hours in a work week. It also says that there are certain employees that can be what we call exempt, meaning they don't have to get overtime even if they work more than 40 hours. The employee has to be paid a predetermined and fixed salary to qualify for that, And the salary has to meet certain thresholds, and that's where a lot of the action is. And their duties, they either have to be an executive, an administrative, or professional employee. But that all sounds kind of technical, but it impacts 
millions of workers in our country and determines who does or doesn't get overtime. This is a very, very significant regulatory change that's in the offing. It's a bit of an archaic statute, but it also tries to kind of keep up with the times in terms of where employees are and and certainly the salary basis test. And so with regard to the changes to the proposed rule, it looks like we're really focusing on just the salary levels with regard to how this standard will change. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Because those those three categories of exempt employees, administrative, professional, are ones where the duty it's both duties and salary, but they decided not to address the duties, which are always very controversial. Instead, I think they thought they'd take the easy route and simply address the salary. But this is the part that's kind of deja vu all over again. This is what they did with the last regulation. And Tara, I know you were very involved with clients in 2016 as new regulations are scheduled to go into effect with new salary requirements. Everyone got ready. And then, of course, they got joined by the court. This time, the Labor Department has again said we're going to raise that salary requirement. Currently, in round numbers, the salary, if you make $35,500 or less, you have to get overtime. doesn't matter what your job duty, what your job title is. So the question, the Labor Department said, we want to raise that amount so that more people get overtime. How much of a raise? This is kind of, I think, a stunning number. 55% increase. Now think about that, folks. 55% jump in who is going to qualify for overtime. Under the proposed regs, it would move from $35,500 to $55,000 a year. In practical terms, that means that any employee no matter what their job title is, no matter what their duties are, who earns less than 55000 must receive overtime for every hour, every minute worked over 40 in a work week. That is a big darn deal. It's a huge shift. And when you think about the number of employees that are in that kind of that gap area where they had been making the required salary under the salary basis test of 35568 or 684 a week, And now we're jumping that by 55%. It's an astronomical shift. And what kind of effect do you think that's going to have on employers? Well, I mean, obviously, the the payroll costs are going to go through the roof. Think about the the sectors that have so many employees that are paid between 35 to 55,000, retail, hospitality, healthcare, outdoor lawn maintenance. I mean, there's a whole slew of workers, various administrative positions, really wide, wide range. So what, what happens is, as those costs go up, we can understand immediately what the impact will be on the business. So now, this jump would occur in the first quarter of next year. So this is eminent, eminent. And by the way, the fine point in the regs, we talk about 55000 it's likely to actually be a little higher because for technical reasons, we'll skip over now. You look at various cost of living projections, and, and that would allow the number to even be driven higher. So I just think this is a stunning, a stunning jump. This is exactly this and another component which ratchets up the cost, which is periodic adjustments, uh, COLA adjustments. So we're used to that. We know how collective bargaining agreements often work. You all get an automatic COLA. Well, think about this salary requirement every couple of years being ratcheted up automatically. No rulemaking, no notice and comment. It just happens automatically. This is the deja vu all over again part. 
This is exactly the point that was put in the regulations a couple years ago, where the court said, no, you can't do that. And, and so I'm surprised that they would repeat that, even with the admonition and the adverse rulings from the court. Right. And David, can you touch on that for a minute, too? What do those automatic increases in the salary level look like? How, how periodic and often will they occur under the proposed regulation? So, Tara, in, in addition to the jump that we anticipate in the first quarter of 2024, thereafter, every three years, that floor will go up. And we know the cost of living only moves in one direction. The, the escalator only goes up. It never goes down. There will be automatic adjustments based on BLS or Bureau of Labor Statistics results. So this is going to be very significant and will continue being very significant. And as I indicated, these are automatic adjustments, which I think is very challenging for employers who aren't in the weeds saying, is it year two? Is it year three? All of a sudden, you have a whole new slew of employees that previously were exempt that now have to get overtime. What hasn't changed under the proposed regs? So this is important because one of the the requirements to qualify for exemptions include, we've focused a lot on the salary, but also duties. What are administrative duties? You know, the assistant store manager, is that person really doing exempt work or are they doing more routinized work? There are tests for that. That's what we call the duties test. The Labor Department, interestingly, even though they don't like some of the duties tests, they opted not to change that. I think that's the one tip that they made to try to get these regulations to squeeze through the eye of the needle because they do anticipate judicial challenge. And so they really have really picked the one aspect primarily. Let's just raise the salary threshold and expand dramatically the number of people who would be eligible for overtime. Now, you and I are both management side labor and employment lawyers. And so we tend to look at these proposed regs at the impact that they'll have on our clients, on employers and companies that we represent. The flip side of this is that certainly the Department of Labor is looking at worker protection and employee protection and thinking about what's a fair salary for the employees that are caught in this middle ground in terms of fulfilling the duties test, but perhaps not keeping up with the times in terms of what the cost of living is. And so, David, can you talk to us a bit about the employers that are impacted by these proposed regs and what does that look like across the country from an industry-wide perspective? Sure. And and a, a situation like this, honestly, it is particularly the middle and smaller size employers that bear the brunt. Candidly, they tend to ha- have the greatest challenge in, in absorbing this type of dramatic change in their payroll cost structure. And so we're talking, the estimates are, and these are the Labor Department's numbers, up to 3 million small entities are going to be impacted by this rule. There's going to be direct employer costs of up to $356 million. And that's that big jump from 35 to 55,000. The industries that they think are going to be hit the highest include professional and technical services, healthcare services, retail trade, food services, drinking establishments. All of these are anticipated to hit some of the highest payroll costs. And I might add, those are the ones that often have the greatest challenges in passing those costs on. Their business model just doesn't allow for that. So I think I think the fallout is going to be very, very significant. One other point, there's record keep stepped up record keeping requirements. And the big employers, again, have better infrastructure. They can absorb that. But the small employers are going to have a whole new set of requirements on clocking in and keeping accurate payroll records 
for all these new employees, there's no relief. There's no lenient standard for record keeping for the small employers. Everyone has to meet that same standard. That's another, I call it a hidden cost, but it's a big burden for companies that have to now, you know, potentially change how they're doing business. Absolutely. So let's jump back a few years again. We talked about that feeling of deja vu. Back in 2016, the Department of Labor proposed fairly significant changes again to the white collar exemptions on the salary basis test. And a federal court essentially struck those down at the 11th hour before they were going to an effect. But at that time, employers were stuck in this kind of, you know, gray area in terms of, do we prepare for these? Do we start making changes? Do we budget for these changes? Do we start telling employees that this change is going to be made and then start revising job descriptions or pay structures in terms of how we're going to compensate them? And then all of that went away. And so now... In terms of, you know, if you were a betting man, what are the odds that these rules are going to go into effect that are actually going to impact employers? Well, that's the right question, because everyone's planning their budgets, for example, for 2024. And do I have this big hit coming or not? I think that we can say with confidence the following. A litigation challenge is effectively 100% going to occur. These regs, we the comment period runs for 60 days. So the comment period ends roughly the end of November. The Labor Department is going to work very hard to get these regulations put out in the first quarter, first calendar quarter of 2024. And I think that at or about that time, there will be a very strong litigation challenge. The litigation is going to be filed right back with the court that struck down the prior regs. What's the odds of the litigation challenge being successful? Extremely high. I don't know if it's 100%, but so if I were betting, I'd have to say there's a very strong chance these regs are struck down. That being said, you know, it's not 100%. So I think many businesses are beginning to, I call it hedge a little bit. They're beginning to reimagine if I had to change the status, if I had someone making 52,000, do I think about increasing them to a salary above the 55,000? Do I do some of these things? What job descriptions? They at least can begin laying it out. They may have learned the lesson not to go 100% preparation, but I don't think you sit back and do nothing either. And that was really my last question of what do we do now? We have, uh, as you said, the 60-day comment period, and employers can take that opportunity to submit comments on these proposed regulations. And I'm sure the DOL is going to receive much feedback on this proposed rule. But really, what are the other pertinent kind of timely issues that employers should be doing now to prepare for these changes? Right. So I think I think it is a time to appropriately think about your basic payroll and overtime practices, you have people clocking in properly, because there's going to be a lot of focus, a lot of awareness. Employees themselves are now going to be have heightened awareness and may bring their own claims that need to be dealt with. So there's all this ripple. It's not just the regulation itself, it's the heightened awareness. And I think that employers are well advised to take this opportunity as a, I'll call it a reset. You know, let's make sure going into 24 that we are, in fact, our payroll practices, good hygiene, just like we go to the doctor and get a physical. Give yourself with counsel so it's privileged, but an assessment of your overtime practices and anticipate that these rules in some way, shape or form, maybe they do squeak through the courts. I doubt it, but maybe. Okay, what would reimagine what our business would look like? in that world too, and, and and start engaging in some preparation there. I think those are good practical steps that should be undertaken. And you mentioned the opportunity to reset. You know, sometimes if employers are concerned that they may have someone who hasn't quite met the exemption previously, and for reasons now this proposed regulation does go into effect, 
this could be an opportunity to kind of clean up some of those areas of concern by reclassifying employees, attributing it to the potential change, but also recognizing that if the hygiene hasn't been the best, if the duties test hasn't quite been met, and now we have concern about the salary basis test, that there may be some opportunity to make some changes there as well. Correct. And I will tell you the other thing, the realities are the plaintiff's bar, the, the lawyers who bring these claims are salivating over this. They are well prepared and making their list of who the target companies are because now they have a whole new potential target group of, of plaintiffs to represent. Anyone who made between thirty five to 55000 or maybe even up to $60,000 now potentially would have overtime claims or record keeping or some combination thereof. So I think I'll call it, you know, that that good overtime uh, hygiene practices, compliance practices by employers is more important than ever. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, David, that's all the time that we have today. This has been a fascinating discussion. As always, thank you so much for joining us on the program. It's always so great to talk with you. I really enjoy it. It's great to be with you. And thanks so much. Thanks to you and the whole organization. This has really been fun. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you'd like to connect with David, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. And we also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, you can search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Tara Stingley. Thanks so much for listening.